Yo, we live in difficult times. There's war, political unrest, the pandemic, poverty, families being torn, communities ripped by gun violence and people dying every day. Police, injustice, it's all bringing so much pain. But y'all, we can look inside our minds and we can understand who we are, become better, and do this thing like we've never done it before. But it all starts with our mental health and I know we can do it. I believe in you because I believe in me and I believe in us. Hello, my name is Gerald McGee of Everyday People Individual and Family Counseling Center located in the Shore Cultural Center in Euclid, Ohio, the red building in the middle. And we are so excited to be here today for another episode of Therapy is Life, Thinking, Feeling, and Experiencing Well-Being. We are so happy and thankful for all of you people who are listening around the United States and throughout the world. We want to have a great discussion and continue our dialogue around grief. We've discussed grief and we understand that we don't need to be strong, but being strong really means that we are embracing our feelings and our emotions and allowing ourselves to work through what we feel. We also realize that with our children, we need to learn how to articulate this message around loss to them yes. so they won't be confused or lost in the process of understanding grief and they'll be able to express their own feelings. We all need to realize that grief is a natural process that we all will go through. And in this episode, we're going to continue this discussion and we're going to talk about the first few stages of grief, shock and denial. How you doing, Delilah? I'm doing great. Beautiful. Happy to be here. Glad to have you here with us again. So we said so many great things in that, that last episode and I wanted to ask you questions about some of the stages of grief. We, we talk about the stages of grief exactly. all the time. Exactly. And I just want to emphasize that the stages that were initially created by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. That's right. It is a powerful tool to help us understand grief. And I don't think she meant for it to be taken in a linear type way where we yeah. just look at it and we just say, okay, I go through this stage, I go through that stage, and I go through that stage. It's not like so that. I, I want to emphasize mm -hmm. that you can go through the stages of grief in many different ways at many different times. And so with that being, Delilah, how would you define the stage of shock? Shock is always the initial stage, even if someone is terminally ill. You know, you're still in shock. You're still in shock. You're still in trauma. It is the, a, a stage that you don't know really what to do. You don't even know about your feelings yet. One of the things that Kluber Ross does, she doesn't call them stair steps. Right. You feel that, you know, if you go through the trauma and the shock, you'll go through the anger and then you'll go through bargaining, I shoulda, I woulda, and then depression and last acceptance. Some people never get there. And it's like steps, but you, like you go up and down the steps, that's the way it happens. The anger, the rage, the denial. And shock is definitely the primary thing. It's the primitive thing in us that basically says, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. Sometimes people be suicidal or they'll even say, I'm ready to die. You know, so that depends. But the shock 
part is exactly what it is. So, and so it pauses us. It numbs exactly. us. Exactly. That's it, what it you know, does. It, it, you know, so we don't react. And you made a very important point in what you, I think everything you're saying is very important, but I want to emphasize this. When we think of, we should think about it in terms of death, but we should also think, you get, think about it in terms of terminal illness. We should think about it in terms of loss of job, loss anything, of relationship, the, divorce, marriage. anything that happens that creates a significant change in our life. We can mm -hmm. experience, we can go through the stages of grief. And obviously when you hear that you have a terminal illness, you might first respond by right. being in shock. What are you saying? I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I don't believe it. I, I don't believe it. I'm just, I, I'm not here and that, that numbness and that disconnection and just not wanting to be present. It's almost like your body become disconnected from your presence. Paralyzed. Yeah, paralyzed. And you become disconnected from your current situation. And it's natural to feel that. Absolutely. Do you think shock serves as a way on some level to help us, help prepare us for what's coming next? It does. It does. It's a part of the steps. <laughs> it's a part of the steps. But don't forget also, see, all of these steps are like interrelated. I always say this. They live in the same house. All of them with grief, mm -hmm. bereavement, mourning, loss, you know, a denial, bargain, acceptance. They mm -hmm. all live in the same house. They all, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think absolutely that there's a time that sometimes you have to just be still and not move. And that's what it does. It numbs you. It numbs us. It, make, it, it freezes us so then we can move into what we consider to be the denial stage. Exactly. And tell us a little bit about denial. Well, denial, so it protects us. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to look at these steps as positive. But all of it is, none of it is like negative, and you don't want to judge it. You don't want to present the JCCs to anybody. Judgment, condemnation, and criticism. Judgment, condemnation, and criticism. JCCs. JCCs. Yeah, you don't want to really do that. You know, you, like I said, you want to be a, an excellent listener. But the whole part of the denial it, is just that I don't believe it. I'm going to give you a real deep story that really happened. Go ahead. This young lady lived here in Cleveland, and her mother died. They didn't have a good relationship, and she didn't want to come to the funeral. She didn't want to be, participate. She was, now this is total denial. Mm -hmm. I have never seen denial on this level. So what she did is move to Texas. But this is what's interesting. She actually brought, purchased the telephone. And the telephone she purchased was her mother's phone. Now, her mother's dead, right? So for a whole year, she would ring the phone or tell people to call this number. And she wouldn't pick up. But she would say, oh, my mother is at least getting in touch. My mother's calling me. She called me one day and she said, I can't take this any longer. And I said, what's the issue? And she said... I wanted to come back home. So she came back home. She came to therapy. And one of the things she said was she was trying to believe that her mother had died to get her death certificate and to visit the grave site if she was comfortable with that. And mm -hmm. she did that. And believe it or not, she recovered. That's so good. denial. That, that's denial. That's and obviously she was on that, like I say, more on that extreme continuum. Exactly. You know, and, but on the other end, you might have people who might be in a little bit of denial, but at the same time, they're able to move through getting like funeral arrangements 
and, and doing things they need to do in order to move things forward. And they haven't embraced the full nature of what's happened in this part of us that kind of represses or suppresses the full nature of the experience helps us to be functional and take care of things. Yeah. And so denial on some level is it makes sense. It does. But, but it can when be it, healthy. But when it becomes so severe that we just keep avoiding and not dealing with, eventually it catches up and it causes us to feel so much worse because we're not processing. Exactly. And that's called delayed grief reaction where you delay it, you know, and also it's a detachment from looking at the reality of what's going on and not accepting what has. And uh, I, once I had a fellow that came and he said, oh, I'm here because for 35 years, I never grieved about my mother. You know, when you're professional, you're not supposed to show, you know, act. My heart, believe it or not, I didn't even know him, went, wow, 35 years. So it shows you how grief can hold on. And like you said, it covers a universal perspective of things. You can grieve for anything. You can grieve because, as the girl said to me, the social worker, they moved me from the first floor to the third floor. And every day at lunch, I went down to the first floor. I didn't know that was grief. You know, when I think about people and thinking, I think about grief and our natural inclination to deny and avoid, you know, there's some healthy level of denial, which we just discussed. But I'm not surprised about the man who said he never grieved his mother because many times for me, when I talk with clients, I realize very few of us ever truly grieve yes. anything. We, Say that. we move through bad relationships. We get out of them. And probably six months later, we something else. We have other disappointments in our life that hurt us. And we just, we move on from those things. And we carry all of this avoidance and into luggage. every experience. Yeah. You know, I remember a song by Erica Badu, Bag Lady, You Gonna Hurt Your yes, Back, yes. Carrying All Those Bags. We carry around all this denial stuff so we don't ever really and actually process what is going on with us. So when somebody says, I never grieved, and then you, or I never grieved my mother, or I've never grieved my father, or I've never grieved my best friend or some loved one, it's not surprising because the way our society works, if I take it on a cultural level, we oftentimes want and we feel like, oh, you should just get over it. I was talking earlier about there's a number of days. Exactly. Okay, so now this leads to alcohol addiction. Now this leads to I'm rushing to get in under in somebody else's sheets. Now I'm running to the some place to gamble or whatever I can do. Exactly. I'm just running, running, or I become a workaholic. Yes, and do people understand there's a concept around workaholic workaholism is usually people that engage in that, they don't want to be close to someone a lot of times. They're, they develop this detachment and not aware, but you know, they don't want to be close and be too responsible and hang in there too much. So if I see you on Saturday, I might not see you for three more weeks yeah. because that's the way often the behavior happens. Now that's not with everyone, but yeah. for whatever reasons, I wanted to mention that about, you know, workaholics you know there's some things they don't want to deal with people much yeah and so and they don't want to deal with people and they may not want to they want to avoid dealing with their feelings around avoidance. things and you know so i think it's fair to say that in our culture we're not taught to actually grieve 
Nope. We're not taught to grieve. And when you talk about it, I grew up in what I would say a very, you know, spiritual environment. And sometimes the concept of mourning and feeling sad or hurting and expressing this mm -hmm. was something that was like, you know, you're not having faith. Yeah, you don't believe, you know, believe, and then you'll mm -hmm. feel bad about grieving. And I want everybody to know you have permission. Say that. You I have that. permission to grieve mm -hmm. and feel what you're going through. And, and I can't say that enough because so many people are in counseling just because they felt like they could never grieve anything. Yeah, and that's one of the first questions I asked. Mm. One, one of them, even though, you know, I'm like 99% I see marital couples. Not mm. marital, but couples rather, period. And that's usually one of the questions that come up. And also, I think what's important is forgiveness. That's another spiritual piece. Right, yeah. That I think that, you know, that we should really touch on. Right, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. forgiveness. And, you know, and I think that that is really when we get into that dialogue about acceptance and hope, you know, it releasing and letting go the burdens of what's been wrong or what has happened and has not happened. And I can't wait to really get into some discussions about relationships. I spend so much time listening to people talk and realizing that they have so much unresolved grief around the relationship they have with their Ooh. mother, their father. And now they are walking in their life with this grief, this denial about, yes. and they haven't addressed the pain and suffering around this relationship. And so you see them and now every relationship and every experience they have, they have this insecure attachment or this fearful avoidant attachment. Exactly. And, you know, they, they, don't, they, can't, they don't trust anybody. They overall feel like life is not good and they don't see themselves as being worthy. It's, so much of that is about unresolved stuff. It is. Things that have been avoided trauma, around trauma. mama. Yeah, and around daddy. And so, and we talk about, yeah, and talk about that trauma. And so by the time people to therapy, there's so many layers to this stuff. It's a real onion. Yes, <laughs> and they've functioned in this dysfunction and it has become normal. Yeah, and they don't know the difference until you, a dear friend, you know, a teacher, a minister, a parent, addresses it. Yeah. Yeah, if they don't address it. See, my thought is in order for your life to also be stable in terms of the mental health situation, is to, like you said, the key words, you got to give yourself permission to change. Right. Tradition is not always healthy, even around the death situation. And what about the people that wear black often? Yeah. Where did that originate? Exactly. The, the way, you you know, know? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I, I know I, Italians. Yeah, Italians did it. And then there was a Queen Victoria, her husband, Prince Albert. And when he died, she wore black for the rest of her life. Yeah. She wore black for the rest yeah. of her life. And I don't know if that was representative of the fact that she was actually working through her, her grief. And we, or we're focusing. That was a part of their tradition. But, but that's part of their tradition. And in many places, they wear black. I know in China, they may wear black. But after a person gets a certain age, and they may wear other colors, exactly. red or pink exactly. or whatever. So it, it changes. What but, about moose hooch? You know, I'm not How do they certain. bury? Yeah, you know. In the third day, remember? Third day, the third yeah, day? by the third day, but they wrap them in white and, mm -hmm. and, and sheet. And, and, sheet. And, and then they, uh, I believe they, they pray and mm -hmm. uh, they do that. But those are things that are amazing culturally. And you know, one of the things I think, and I'll say this, and I, I don't think I was clear, is that in our culture, you know, we oftentimes, I think when people, we want to feel comfortable. 
So when we see people grieving, it makes us uncomfortable. So we want to make people feel better. So we push to encourage them to feel better because when, if they feel better, then we, Automatically. we feel better. When people say, when they go to funerals, I've been to a number of them where they'll say, oh, this person had a, was funny and it was humorous and they wouldn't want us to be sad. Yeah, I know, yeah. They wouldn't want us to be sad. And yeah, this is a physical law. This was somebody that you had a connection with. He was attached to. Exactly, and, exactly. And you can't process your feelings, which, and I think that's one of the reasons why we so busy in the drugstores and the, the liquor stores and we smoke so much weed and all this other stuff that we do to try to get over our grief because we avoid. Good word, excellent word. And the first time I really knew about a celebration of a person was when I was in college. And I don't, I remember visually seeing the brother and he was a part of a fraternity. And what happened is everybody was celebrating no, they had rented out the gym or someplace because he had left $1,000 for people to have a party and do what it is that they wanted to do. But even that word now we use often that people are going home. People wear colors or whatever they want to wear now, basically, mm -hmm. you know, and they and celebrate. They say they always use the word now pretty much celebrate. Yeah, celebrate. And so we don't want to deal with our bad feelings. And I think that's where mm -hmm. our society goes. And we just stay away from things that's nuanced and complicated and emotional. But in the long run, those things come out anyway. Oh, yeah. They yeah. come out anyway. Yeah, they find a way to, to surface. Act them out. Yeah, huh? they, 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 do. they come out anyway. So if we <laughs> deal with them, then we're more likely to process them properly, learn what we can learn from them, and do better. And that's with the loss of a loved one. That's right. with relationships, because when you actually go through your grief, maybe you learn some insight, maybe you gain some wisdom that allows you to move forward and do things more constructively. Yeah. So if people look at the major changes or minor that you've made, I'm going to say in the, within the last 30 days or 60 mm -hmm. days, you will find bits of grief that or that you can give to, you know, you can exude. Because it was a major change. You know, you're tired, you know, whatever might have happened, COVID, whatever is going on, you know. Right. And so there's lots of ways you can look at it. There's even some biblical ways you could look at it. Right. It, ways. Exactly. So many different ways that you can look at grief. In closing this episode, you like, is there anything else you'd like to say? Or I think listening to people is the most important. And culturally, we really don't listen. You know, because either somebody's raising their hand, even kids in school, you know. And I ask people to do what is called reframing. What did your partner say? You know, or what did you, whomever went on a situation when it's about loss? Because grief is all kinds of loss. It's not just death. You know, so I think that's important. The other thing I would like to leave is that the word I really like a lot is choices. There are millions of people on the planet and guess what? There's millions of ways to do things. And we get caught up in this is the way, that is the way. <laughs> That's you not know, the way. Yeah. And so I want to say allow people to be who they are without the JCCs. No judgment, no criticism, and no condemnation. Thank you, Delilah, for being here with us today. Thank you. And thank you for being with us today. <laughs> if you like the content, please discuss below. Like us and please subscribe. Thank you and have 
a good day. And we'll see you in the next episode of Therapy is Life. Thinking, feeling, and experiencing well-being.